In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I heard from Ole and Lena again up there in Minnesota this week. Seems like I've run into them a lot. Ole Olson was the pastor of the Norwegian Lutheran Church up there at St. Cloud. And Olaf Olafsson was the pastor of the Swedish Lutheran Church on the other side of the street. And they used to come out when the mailman would come, and sometimes they would, you know, chat with each other a little bit. Yeah, how's it going then? Yeah, real good. What do you think about this weather? Oof, isn't that something? Makes it mean, you know. So they were talking a little bit out there, and a guy came driving, barreling through there, and they both went, the end is near, the end is near. And he shook his fist. He said, shut up, you crazy Scandahoovians. And he barreled on through, and they heard a crash and a splash. And Ole turned and said, do you think we should have just said, the bridge is out? That's the theme of today's gospel lesson. The end is near. This is, uh, oh, by the way, Happy New Year. This is the first Sunday of the, uh, the new church here, the first Sunday in Advent. And as such, we talk about things like, the end is near. We talk about Jesus' first coming. We talk about his second coming. And more importantly, we talk about his coming all the time in between to us. This year we have the Gospel of Mark. Last year was the Gospel of Matthew. And it's significant because Mark is writing during a time that's pretty important in Jewish history. Mark is a gospel that it doesn't have any birth narrative, so we won't hear Mark at Christmas time. But in Advent, really important because Mark was written sometime between 66, 67, and 70 AD. And that is precisely the time of the Jewish revolt. The Jews, the super patriots, the zealots revolted against the mighty Roman Empire and they tried to get their freedom. And Rome had had enough of these stiff-necked, you know, wacky, monotheistic Jews with their one God. They'd had enough of all of that. And so they sent in the, the forces and they brought siege works, surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and they just starved them out. They had water from an underground river in Jerusalem, but they didn't have any food. And historian Josephus tells us that it got so bad that they were resorting to cannibalism at the end. And then the city fell. And then they tore down the walls, so it was defenseless. But worse than that, they tore down the temple. Jesus had said 27 years before this, get a good look at this temple now, boys, because it won't be long and there won't be left one stone on top of another. And that turned out to be literally true. I was in Jerusalem when I was in college, and there's a, a stone wall that you can go call the Wailing Wall, but that was part of the temple. That was part of the foundation stones. None of that is above ground. You have to go down an incline where they dug out so you can get to the, the, uh, the foundation stones of the Wailing Wall. Not one stone left on top of another. And people at that time really thought, this has got to be the end. I mean, the center of all Jewish faith and life and worship, and it's totally gone. This has got to be the end of the world. And Jesus was careful to warn them and say in the Gospel of Mark, the sun will be darkened, the moon will lose its light, the stars will fall. So then be prepared, be awake, be ready, because then the Son of God will come in in clouds to judge the world. But they were thinking, this has got to be it. And Mark is quick to add, even though he probably sympathized with the freedom fighters, he's quick to add, no, 
No, that's not going to be the end of the world. The end of the world is only, only going to be when God the Father decides it's going to be. So just wait. Wait on the Lord. Don't get excited. Don't get too caught up in all the stuff that's going on around you. Wait on the Lord. And that's pretty good advice for us uh, today, too. Because when I think about this coronavirus pandemic, I've had people already ask me, do you think that this coronavirus is the beginning of the end of the world? Do you think this is it? And my answer is, well, no, not really. Because we've been living, according to the Gospel of Luke, we've been living in the end time ever since Jesus ascended. But is it going to be the end of the end time? No. Only God knows that. And Jesus himself, who thought he was coming back much sooner, maybe while the disciples were still alive, but he was very cautious to add, I don't know, only the Father knows, and he's not telling. So we don't know when that is. And the important thing is not to outguess God to try to determine when is the end coming. The important thing is what we do while we're waiting. And I don't know how you are, how good are you at waiting? I'm not very good. I, I'll just freely admit that. I'm pretty patient with people, but I'm not patient with technology. I just want to throw it out the window. I, I'm, not, I'm not patient with mechanical stuff. I'm, if, if there's a line at a store, I'm not go, going to a movie. Line, that's why I don't go to stores and movies. If I go to a restaurant and they say there's a 40-minute wait, I'm already turning on my heel walking out the other way. So I don't know. How good are you? at waiting. How good are you at waiting when your teenager is a half hour or an hour late when they're supposed to be home? How good are you at waiting for that job promotion that they keep saying you're going to get eventually? How good are you at waiting for your husband to take that garbage out that he said he was going to two hours ago? How good are you at waiting in the doctor's office when your appointment was at 10 o'clock but now it's 11.30 and there's no sign of him? How good are you at waiting for all of these kinds of things that we have in our lives? And the important thing is not just can we wait, but what are we doing in the meantime while we're waiting? Are we being awake? Are we being prepared? And I think back to when I was a kid, we had uh, a couple of our uh, favorite cousins, Sue and June, and they did not visit often because they lived a couple hundred miles away. But when we heard they were coming, they were so fun that we wanted to spend every minute with them. When we heard that Sue and June were coming, Boy, we got busy and we got prepared. We, we cleaned our rooms. We made our beds. I cleaned the manure out of my, where my 4-H cattle and my horse were. I, uh, you know, we cleaned the eggs. We, uh, I, I filled up buckets so I could do chores in a hurry. We had everything ready so that when Cousins Sue and June came, we could just enjoy their presence and be with them and have fun. Getting, getting ready so that when the Lord comes, we are prepared. That's the key. I talked to another woman several years ago and she was talking about, she was chagrined about the way her life had gone and she was finally realizing that she had pretty much wasted most of her life. She said, I was always waiting for something. I, when I was little, I was waiting so I could go to school so I could learn and be with other kids and have fun. And then I couldn't wait to get to high school where he could go on dates and drive cars and do cheerleading and stuff. And then I couldn't wait to get out of high school because it was kind of clicky and I wanted to be with more mature young people in college. And then I couldn't wait to get out of college so that I could earn money. And then I couldn't wait to get married. And then I couldn't wait to have kids. And then I couldn't wait for the kids to leave the house. 
And then finally I thought, I can't wait till I retire. And then I can play golf anytime I want to. And she said, and one day I was at the golf course waiting at the first tee to tee off. And I thought to myself, what's the point? And she recognized that she had really wasted her entire life because she was not doing anything while she was waiting. She was not doing the important things of appreciating the relationships that she had with her family, with her friends, with the Lord, even with herself. She had done nothing but just twiddled her thumbs and waited for the next big thing. So in this season of Advent, we are waiting. We are waiting for to celebrate Jesus' first coming. We are waiting and anticipating his second coming, but we are very much awaiting his coming to us to come into our hearts now. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves that we are waiting and appreciating the incarnation of God as a person who came to our world, who lived like we live, who went through what we went through, who died for us and brought us salvation. We don't want to deceive ourselves that we're waiting for the incarnation when all we're doing is just waiting for commercial Christmas so we can buy more gifts for people who don't need it with money that we don't have. We don't want to kid ourselves in that. We want to make sure that we are waiting and doing the important things. We know what they are. We've been hearing about them the last Sundays. We know that the bridegroom is delayed. We heard that story. We know that the master has gone on a long journey, but he's coming. He is coming back. So we know that it may be a while. We don't know exactly when this is going to be that the Lord is going to come, but we know that the Lord comes to us all the time in word and sacrament and in the faces of other people. We know what we're supposed to do. We heard it again last week. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You cared for me. I was um, in prison. You visited me. Take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the suffering, the dying. We know what, what we're supposed to do while we're waiting. And so in this season, we just want to, want to um, remind ourselves that that's what we do, the important stuff while we are waiting. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.